It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you're welcome to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to get there eventually. Uh, that was for Mike. Uh, but, uh, but Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we've been walking through a study looking at uh, life in the Word, or that's, that's what I've been calling it, and looking at this idea of what does it mean to actually live in the reality of, of the Word, both in person, Jesus, and in text, Scripture. And uh, we've been walking through this idea of living in light of the reality of, of Jesus Christ and, and being filled with his life. And, and, and just as a, even a sense of, uh, as a quick recap, I uh, just want to look at two specific passages because uh, I really love these verses. Uh, but Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you will also be manifested with him in glory. I really love how, how Paul articulates this. Do you realize that Christ doesn't merely give us life, he is our life. And I think that is such a fundamental shift in our thought process as believers that the life that we live is the life of Christ. I think this is very clear in, a, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. And listen to what John says. He says, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In other words, our life is to be lived through the reality, the life, and the very presence of Jesus himself, which I think is just incredible. So our life is to be in the word. And we've been talking about this idea of abiding and what does it mean to actually know Jesus and, and what does it mean, as we talked about last time, uh, what does it mean to have this face-to-face -face friendship, intimacy, uh, relationship, best friend kind of stuff with Jesus? And as, as you're just walking through those concepts, I think the question, at least in my head, is, all right, sounds good, abiding, knowing Jesus, yay, be friends with Jesus. But what does that mean practically for how do we live? Like, like what do we actually do? And I want to talk about this idea of, of how do we live? Because obviously, if, if, if this is not practical in our lives, what good is this? And so I want to give a concept. This is probably not going to sound practical, but it's supposed to be practical. Okay, so it's a concept that you then need to practically apply in your life. <laughs> but it's this idea. I want to talk about the poetry of practical Christian living. Uh, there's this phenomenal concept throughout, throughout the New Testament uh, that I think is, is just deeply impactful or uh, stirring, at least in my mind, in terms of how we actually live. And I want to look at one particular Greek word, and it's probably my second all-time favorite Greek word. Uh, my first one would be gnosko. This is probably, this is, a, this is an easy second. And the word is poieo, and it's often translated do, did, or done. And in other words, I did something, I'm doing something, that, that's the idea. Now, in the New Testament, there's a variety of words that are translated do, did, or done, and like, there's one idea that has this idea of discipline. Uh, there's this idea of habit. Uh, there's this idea of duty. Uh, that, that's all contained works. There's, there's that idea in, in scripture. But poieo has an entirely different flavor to it. So if, if I can just give a mental image then. Uh, imagine, imagine I come up to you and say, okay, we, we need to paint this building. And my guess is you'd be like, okay, well, let's do that. And so we give you a paintbrush and we give you a bucket and you go over there. And I remember, I don't know, it was a couple years ago when we actually did this. 
uh, I was cutting in uh, the, the tops and the bottoms and, and Nick was coming behind and he was rolling and all this stuff and there's a whole group of people in this room and I don't know about anybody else, but I remember looking at the clock going, oh, how much longer do we got? Because it's, I'm doing it and I'm, I'm happy to do it, but it's, it's discipline, it's a duty thing, it's, it's that kind of an idea. Uh, could you imagine working on a factory and, and your job at the factory is to take a paintbrush and you are to paint this one little swiggle line on, on this little device day in and day out, right? It's, it's a habit, it becomes a, a practice, it becomes a habitual thing. Those are all different words for this idea of doing or works in scripture. But poieo, again, if you want, if you want the idea of poieo, here's the imagery. It's the idea of an artist. Uh, I don't know if you ever met an artist, but an artist is weird. Uh, a true artist, right? The alarm goes off in the morning and they hit snooze about six or seven times. And then eventually they get out and they, they go and they, they stretch and then they wander around and they, they look outside and then eventually they make their way to the studio and they open up the curtains and they have the, you know, the floor to ceiling windows and they just gaze for about an hour, right? And then, and then they say, okay, I, I probably should you know, do some painting. And so they get the canvas and then they get the paints and they mix the paints. And then amazingly, from the insides of who they are, something comes out of them and, and, and it gets on the canvas and a masterpiece is created. That's the word. So when you look at this idea of poieo, poieo is not duty, it's not discipline, it's not, you know, how much longer do we have to, you know, how, how, long, how much longer do we have to do this? It's not a work, it's not a thumb in your back, it's just pure delight. And what's on the inside comes out on the outside. Uh, you, you go up to a true artist and you say, hey, can, can you teach me how to do this? And almost inevitably they will say, no. Why? Because how, 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 how do you teach that. Like, like we can teach you to how to paint by numbers, right? But, but how, how do you teach someone to take what is on the inside and get it on the outside? But that's the word poyeo. And they did the painting, but the way that they did the painting is the inside was expressed on the outside. Everyone tracking so far? Now that idea, as you start to trace it through the New Testament, is incredible. It shows up about 500, 500 plus times in the New Testament. But I want to show you one time where this shows up in the Old Testament. Again, this is all over the Old Testament too. But when you come to the Old Testament and you look at the very first verse, Genesis 1-1, the word poieo shows up in the Greek. So if you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word shows up right there at the very beginning. And look at this. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God poieoed the heavens and the earth. Now just ponder that. Do you realize that the creation account was not God getting up one morning going, well, better build a world. And so out of duty and discipline and gritting his teeth and, you know, he's just like, all right, I'm going to put the little squiggle on the, on the little device and, and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get this thing done. Do you realize that's not how God created? That, that when God created, he, he just said, oh, there's something going on on the inside. And he just literally bubble, just bubbles forth and he speaks it and he creates the universe. And the creation account is not a duty, it's not a discipline, it's not a, it's just a, isn't that a beautiful thought? Which means, because you could apply this down through all the creation stuff, that when God created you, this wasn't like a, well, I guess I'll create you, you know, or, or oh, bummer, you know, I guess I create, you know. This is a, God goes, oh, I've never done this yet. I've created all these little animal things. I've never created anything like this. I'm going to, and from the insides of who he is, he, he poyeos you. 
Isn't that incredible? Okay, three of you like the idea, but... Now, when you get into this idea of poieo, uh, this is a word that's often used for bearing fruit. Do you realize that trees don't do fruit, they bear fruit? That, that you don't ever, you know, you're not walking down the road and you're seeing this tree. I promise you, you will never see a tree that's just going, ah, trying to produce fruit. Because that's not, that's not how trees do fruit. Trees don't, <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> trees don't do fruit. Trees bear fruit. From, from the living reality of the sap on the inside, it, it just bubbles forth, goes out into the branch, and it produces fruit. So let me just give you a few passages in Scripture. Uh, John the Baptist is, is preaching in John chapter 3. He says to the crowd, Therefore, poieo, fruit, in keeping with repentance. Therefore, every tree that does not poieo, good fruit, is cut down and is thrown into the fire. He says, do you realize that there should be something bubbling up within you that's actually bearing fruit out of your life? It's called repentance. Uh, Jesus picks up the same concept or this illustration in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus says, even so, every good tree bears or poyeos good fruit. But the bad tree poyeos bad fruit. Why? Because that's what's on the inside. A good tree cannot poyeo bad fruit, nor can a bad tree poyeo good fruit. Every tree that does not poyeo good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So whatever's on the inside, it will come out and will be demonstrated in the fruit. And Jesus says, hey, if you're full of goodness, you can't, you can't bring forth the bad fruit. And in a similar sense, if you're full of the bad junk, hey, you can't produce the good fruit. Because the outward is a revelation of the inward stuff. Or if you fast forward to Revelation 22, this is the very end. L listen to this idea. Here, here's the new Jerusalem. And it says, on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, poyaoing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And its leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Do you realize that there is this reality that a tree just, it just from the insides produces something that you see? I think that's beautiful. And it's this poyao idea. Uh, this word... I find it really fascinating, uh, becomes a major theme in the book of James. Uh, if you think about the, the, the different epistles, James typically gets the, uh, the title of being, well, that's the, that's the one full of commands. And that's true. There are more commands in the book of James than there are verses. I mean, James just goes crazy with do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And yet, do you realize that the commands that James is giving you to do this, do this, do this, is not duty, it's not discipline, it's not buckle down and grit your teeth and uh, pull this thing off, that the kind of doing that James commissions us to do is poyao stuff. That there's something going on on the inside of who you are, and because the inside is different, what comes out in your doing is different. For example, James chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, listen to this. James says, but become poyeors or doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer or a poyeor, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. In other words, James says, I'm going to give you a lot of commands, but this is not about buckle down, grit your teeth, pull this thing off. James says, if the living God lives inside of you, and you're living by his life, do you realize just like a good tree produces good fruit, do you know what's going to come out of your life? I am giving you commands. But those commands come from the overflow of his life within you. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if we lived like that? I mean, wouldn't it just be amazing if, if, if Christianity wasn't a 
grit your teeth, buckle down, try to pull this thing off, let, let's, let's swim upriver, that the reality of Christianity is not a fish swimming upriver. It's not duty and discipline. There is duty and there is discipline. But a better illustration, I think I gave this to you a couple studies ago, but I think a better illustration of the Christian life is not trying to swim upriver. It's just abide in the inner tube and let that thing suck you downriver. Just stay in the inner tube. Just abide in that thing and, and just let the, let the river flow you down the river. That, that, that Christianity is not supposed to be a struggle. That, that it's not supposed to be a self-determined effort. That Christianity is living by his life. Well, what does that mean? It means he's going to fill you up with himself. So what's going to come out of that? Him. And you're going to pull yao things, but it's not because of your duty and discipline. It's because of his life. I love that idea. So, so take all of that then, and I want to come to this idea of poetry. And if you have your Bibles again, Ephesians chapter 2. I, w- I want to read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 uh, because Paul uses this idea of poieto in two different ways. I think it's really fascinating. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says this, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing or poyaoing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, pause there. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul is saying that we were all dead in sin, that, that none of us get to escape that. We were, we were all filled with this sin nature. And as Paul begins to explain this idea of sin, he begins to say stuff like you are living according to the mindset, the, the foolish stupidity of the world, that, that you conducted yourselves in, in the lusts of the flesh. Uh, and that, that idea is, it's like this idea of like, uh, could you imagine you take this garment and you throw it into the dryer, right? And, and you look through the little hole and the, and the garment is going, and it has no control. It has no choice. It's just, it's being tossed and turned. Paul says, that's what's happening in your life. That, that because of sin, it's like you've been thrown into the dryer and you have no control over this. You've just been, and sin's just doing whatever it wants with you, which is one of the realities of sin, isn't it? That when we live according to the world, when we live in our, in our flesh, that, that sin just kind of does whatever it wants with us. And we, we feel powerless. And yet, though that's true, Paul then goes on and says this, you're also doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And he uses the word poyeo, which means this. Even though there's an element of, of sin where I feel like I have no control, I just have to give into it if I'm living by the flesh, Paul says that's true. But there's also a reality that from the insides of who you are, you are poyaoing sin. That, that you are coming up with, you are inventing, you're being creative in sin. That, that just as an artist, from the insides of who they are, come to and, and create a masterpiece on the canvas, Paul says, you know what you are doing from the insides, from that dark, demonic, sinful reality of, of, of the sinful nature of your life, you are inventing ways to produce junk. So yeah, you're like in a, in a, in a dryer and you have no control and you're just the thump, the thump, the thump. That's true, but wow, there is something going on inside of you where you are so corrupt and twisted and perverted and, and so full of sin and darkness that you are inventing ways to sin. You are poyeoing the reality of darkness in your life. And I don't know about you, but 
I think that's true. So what hope do we have? None. Outside of Jesus. Which is why I think verse 4 is maybe one of the best verses in all of Scripture. Because out of that, hey, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then Paul says this, but God... Being rich in mercy, being rich in his hesed, being rich in his overwhelming, you don't deserve this, but man, he's going to do everything that you need. So here is God, even though you are dead, he is rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Paul says, you have nothing to do with this. That here you are dead, you are, you are shaking your fist in rebellion in God's face. Do you know what God did? He reached into your deadness and produced life. And this was all by his grace. You, you, this was not by your works. You could do nothing to produce this. God did it all. And I think that's incredible. Because you, you can't work your way into salvation. Because it's a work of God. But then Paul makes this statement in verse 10 that we are his workmanship created for good works. So there are good works that are to come out of your life, but the works don't bring about the salvation. The salvation brings about the good works. And what is phenomenal, and this is the whole point of the passage, or the whole point for bringing it up, is the word for workmanship is the Greek word poema. Think about that. Poema. Does that sound like one of our English words? It's poetry. And the root word of poema is the poieo. So imagine this. Uh, it was my dad's birthday uh, this, last, this last week. And uh, so I, I went down and I go to the Hallmark store, right? Or the dollar store. <laughs> it's the one I can afford. Uh, so, so I go down to the dollar store and I'm looking at the cards and, I, and I'm reading through the different cards, right? Roses are red, violets are blue. I love my dad. So hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, right? <laughs> I've given this illustration before. Uh, it's always the same card, too. I don't know why I'm, I'm always trying to that, that one card. Uh, right? But, but, but here's this card, and I go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send this card. So I buy the card, and I say, hey, I love you. Happy birthday. And I sign it, and I send it to my dad. Do you realize I didn't pull yet anything in that? That, that I, 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 I sent the card. I did a card, but, but it, it's just... See, that's very different than if I... If I take an hour and I sit down and I go, okay, I'm going to write my dad a note. And I, and I, I begin to say, dad, Hey, here's some things that I think about you. And here are the things that I remember. And man, I really appreciate this. And, and I remember that one time you dropped me on my head and I, you know, and, I, and all, all those things. And I, and I begin to, I begin to flesh it out. Do you realize that, that when I write a letter or if you're going to write your own poetry, it's the inside stuff coming out on the outside that, that, that it's not a Roses are red, violets are blue kind of a card. This is the inward expression of my heart being demonstrated on a note. 
And do you realize what, what Paul is saying is that you are not some obligatory statement. Uh, you're not some obligatory Christian. You're not some like, well, thank you for coming to me. Uh, I got to figure out something to do with you. Um, yeah, dig a hole, fill it in. Dig a hole, fill it in. See, you're not, a, so you're not just some thing to God. Do you realize, according to Paul, you are his poetry, that, that you are the inward expression of all that he's longing to do in, in this world. And, and he, he has something for this world. What's he going to give the world? He, he's not going to give a, an encyclopedia. He's not going to give a document. He's not going to give a, a manual because whoever reads the manuals. What does he give? He gives poetry. He gives you. And you become the poetry of God to your world. Isn't that a phenomenal thought? That, that you are to be the inward expression of God to this world. That, that, that the poyao of God, who, which created you, is now to be demonstrated in and out of your life. Why? Because he is so rich in mercy, because of his great love for you. He just, he could not help himself. He created you, and now he wants you to do good works, not to earn salvation, but because you're now saved, he wants you to be the poetry and the declaration of his heart to the world around you. And so as Christians, we have a lot of things that we are called to do, but we're not called to do them out of the discipline and the, and the grit your teeth and pull this thing off. We are to do them out of the inflow or the outflow of his life in us. Uh, well, a lot of times that when, I'm, when we're talking to students, I often talk about this idea of ministry that most ministers are trying to whip up their own resource to do ministry. And it's like they're trying to, they're trying to work, they're trying to live, they're trying to do ministry out of, out of an empty cup. I said, but wouldn't it be phenomenal if, if there's a constant resource flowing into your cup that the ministry or your life or the works of your life was merely the overflow or it just came out of the overflow of what was being poured into you? See, wouldn't it be phenomenal if, 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 uh, if I was so living in Jesus Christ and living by his life that he was so filling me up with his spirit that what you experienced was merely the overflow of what I'm experiencing, which means what I get is awesome. And you, you get to reap all of that, and you get the blessing of all that, but this is not about me trying to produce my own fruit so, that, so I have something to give you. This is, wow, look at what God's doing in my life, and it's just coming out of. And wouldn't it be phenomenal if, if, if ministry and if your work and if, you know, if, if your schooling, if your family life, if your hobbies, if your whatever, was just the poyaoing of the reality of Christ in your life. And the way that you lived was not based on you and what you could pull off, but based upon him and what he wanted to do in and through you. And maybe just as one quick illustration of this, this idea of it's not our work, but his. Uh, in, in, in Acts, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 7, Stephen's about to be stoned and he stands up and preaches. And it's interesting in the middle of the sermon, uh, he starts talking about this idea of Moses and building the tabernacle. And, and listen to what Stephen says about the Moses stuff. He says in Acts 7.44, Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to poyao it according to the pattern which he had seen. Stephen says Moses had a pattern, that there was a way of doing things. But what Moses didn't do is said, okay, I can pull this thing off. We're going we're to make a tabernacle. I'm, hey, I'm going to get this thing done. Stephen says, do you know what Moses did? There was a pattern of, of what he was supposed to do. And out of the overflow of the reality of the inside stuff that God gave him, the tabernacle was produced. 
Wouldn't it be incredible if your life was like that? It's really cool, too, if you, if you turn to Acts, or sorry, Exodus chapter 31. This is that whole scene. And it says that Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name this great guy that I can't pronounce, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And li- listen to this. God says, I've chosen these two characters, if you read the whole passage, that God chose these two men. And listen to this. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in discernment, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to devise artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood in order for him to work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And then a few verses later, after talking about the other guy, he says this, that they may make or poyeo all that I have commanded you. So Yahweh says, Moses, you know what I've done? I've chosen these two guys. And I've literally put my presence, my spirit in their lives so that what I'm commanding you in terms of the pattern of what to create, they're going to do it. But how are they going to do it? It's going to come out of the poyeoing of the reality of what I put inside of them. That is a phenomenal pattern for the Christian life. That there is a pattern for how we are called to live. That there's a certain manner by, by, by how we are to function in this life. Well, how, how are we going to live the pattern? Oh, I'll tell you. Grit your teeth. Pull it off. That won't work. Because you, you cannot live the Christian life as, as the Christian life was designed. How, how are you going to ever live the pattern of Christ? What's well, when, the, when the life of Christ gets inside of you and what comes out is the evidence of the poyeoin reality within you. And you recognize that God has given you absolutely everything that you need for life and godliness. And you can live the Christian life, but not through gumption, not through gritting your teeth, but by living according to his life and allowing the spirit of God to stir something within you that begins to produce something in and out of your life. We call that Christianity. And I know I quote this probably every single, probably every single message, the Romans eleven thirty six passage, that for from him and through him and to him are all things. Do you realize that that's how we're to live? Listen to Ephesians 2, 10 again. We are his poetry. We are his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In light of that, again, listen to Romans eleven thirty six. 36, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. How are we to live? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. How am I supposed to function in marriage or family or in work or in hobbies? Well, you're supposed to function from him, through him, to him, for his glory. John, John said this in 1 John 5, 11, this, uh, and the witness is this, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Or right before that, the verse I read earlier too, that we might live. Why, why did Jesus come? So that we might live through him. That this is not about your accomplishment. This is not about you gritting your teeth. This is about would you allow the living God through his spirit to do something in and through you. So with that just being said, I want to just finish with a couple quotes. Uh, I love these two men, and I just thought it would be a good way to enunciate all this. So Ian Thomas said this. I love this statement. It takes God to be a man. Man, that is, as God intended man to be. God created man to be inhabited by God for God. Or listen to what Tozier says. Deity and dwelling men, that is Christianity in its fullest operation. 
And even those greater glories of the world to come will be in essence but a greater and more perfect experience of the soul's union with God, deity and dwelling men. That, I say, is Christianity. And no man has experienced rightly the power of Christian belief until he has known this for himself as a living reality. Everything else is preliminary to this. Incarnation, atonement, justification, regeneration. What are these but acts of God's preparatory to the work of invading and the act of indwelling the redeemed human soul? Or listen to this final statement by Ian Thomas. I love this quote. He says this, The Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, whether it be your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you're not yet living it. Do you realize that the only explanation for your life is to be Jesus? And that when someone sees the the reality of Christianity coming out of you, it's not supposed to be explained in terms of you and what you can do and your grit and your determination. And and wow, look, look at my ability to live the Christian life. Wouldn't it be incredible if the only way that people can describe how you're living is Jesus? And wouldn't it be just, just incredible if the living God who lives inside of you as a believer, if he began to do something in you and what came out of you, just like you used to be inventive and creative in sin, now that you're reigning and controlled by Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be phenomenal if his life just started coming out of you? And his nature and his attitude and his heart just started coming out of you. Not because you're trying, because you just couldn't help yourself. I don't know about you, but I, I need that. And that means I need Jesus. Because the only way I'm ever going to pull you out of the reality of Christ is I've got to have Jesus on the inside. And somehow he's got to get bigger in my life. And man, I'm going to have to be fully given over to the Spirit of God. And, and wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be interesting if my life truly was lived through him, from him, through him, to him, for his glory? That's Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, we need that. Lord, we have a generation of people who come to church and who are gritting their teeth and trying to produce fruit, but nothing comes out. Lord, is it possible that the reality of my life could be so filled with you that what comes out is you, just like before I knew you, what came out was just sin? Lord, I love the fact that even though I was dead in my my sin and my trespasses, and I was inventing ways to just produce sin. Lord, you and your rich mercy because of the love with which you have for us. Even while I was shaking my fist in rebellion in your face, you did everything that I need to not only experience forgiveness, but to experience the very life. Not that you'd merely give us, but who you are. And Lord, I, I do pray that, that we would live by your life that this wouldn't be a struggle, a grit our teeth. And and yeah, we understand there's duty and yeah, there's discipline and yeah, there are hard days and yes, there's struggle in the Christian life. Lord, I I get it. But Lord, what I want coming out of my life is a masterpiece. Not pointing to Nathan, but pointing to Christ. Lord, I I want the reality of, of, of what's bubbling forth in the overflow of my life to just be Jesus. Lord I, Lord, I want when people encounter my life for them not to encounter me. I want them to encounter you. Lord, I don't want them to hear my voice. I want them to hear your voice. 
Well, I, I don't want them to see Nathan in, in his ability or his talent or his, his, his discipline. Lord, I want them to experience the living God. And so, Lord, I just want to declare I desperately need you. Would you come and would you do something I can't do on my own? And would you produce a heart and a mind, an attitude, a language that I can't do on my own? Lord, let us be poyetors of the living God because we are filled with the living God. Thank you for that reality. Thank you for that opportunity. We do love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.